Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. If you've got your Bibles, would you grab them and go to Luke chapter 18? Uh, Luke 18, uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, you could use the one I'm using. Like, like It's like this, it's in the, in the pew rack in front of you. Uh, go to page 871, you will find Luke 18. If you're not used to navigating your way through the Bible, that, that's totally fine. Uh, what you'll find is you go to a page in the Bible, you'll see uh, two columns, and you'll see like big numbers and small numbers. The big numbers in bold are chapter headings. Uh, small numbers kind of embedded in the, in the sentences, those, those are verses. So sometimes we'll say, you know, chapter 18, verse 9, that, that kind of helps you find your way, and there's no shame in, uh, in just trying to, trying to find your way and maybe even having someone help you do that. So I uh, just wanted you know, I'm going to read from uh, Luke 18, verse 9 here in a little bit. Uh, we live in a society that likes to help us uh, find out where we stand and where we rank and rate and the kind of things that we like to do. And that's, that's all good. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, kind of benchmarking where we stand in society helps us knowing how much progress we still got ahead of us uh, or maybe lets us know that we've progressed as far as we need to. Uh, for example... If you have summited uh, Mount Everest or K2 or a mountain like that one, you have, you're in the elite class of mountain climbers and everyone would say yeah, that that is the case. Um, if, if you uh, went to school and you were on the dean's list or you graduated uh, magna or summa cum laude um, and, and maybe you're here, you have no idea what those words are, it's okay. Uh, but for those who do, you know that you're, you're in the, the top tier of, of, of academic excellence. Or if you're a musician and you, you win a Grammy or you're nominated for a Grammy, you know that, 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 is, uh, that that's an achievement and, uh, and that, that's, that's, that's really, uh, you know, people applaud that and that's, that's a good thing, that's nothing wrong with that. But what happens sometimes as we're used to benchmarking, as we're used to, to kind of ranking and rating and finding how we're doing in life, uh, what, what, when we come to the topic of, a, of spirituality, we come to the topic of following after Jesus. Um, this, this is where bad things happen. Because when we get into this, 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 this topic of spiritual benchmarking and applying it to our lives and, um, and sort of saying, how are we doing spiritually? And we're comparing and contrasting to others. Actually, what this does is diminish our souls. Spiritual benchmarking actually robs us of the experience of ridiculous grace. It actually causes a part of us to just shrivel up and die. Now, and the reason I'm sharing all that is because Jesus is about to tell a story. I'm going to read to you in here a second. And it, the reason he's going to tell the story is because there are going to be some people who have been involved in a conversation and they've been benchmarking themselves about their, in regards to their spiritual life. And actually, they've come to the astonishing place where they, they're feeling pretty good about themselves. They're feeling pretty self-righteous, morally superior to those that they are hanging out with. Uh, Luke 18, verse 9 says, Then Jesus told the story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. He told the story because there were some people who had just this... this Great confidence in their moral and their spiritual superiority, um, and, and they scorned, some of your translations may say, and they looked down, not on just a few people, not on just some people, but everybody else, which prompts Jesus to tell this story. Uh, I'll continue reading here, verse 10 of chapter 18. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. 
the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I am certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is God's holy word. So, Jesus is going to get a point across. There's a conversation going on. People are spiritually benchmarking their lives and looking down on others. He tells a story, two characters in the story, tax collector and a Pharisee. Tax collectors are, you know, people who collect taxes typically don't draw positive responses from people. How many of you got a property tax statement here recently? Okay, okay. How many of you, your property taxes went up? Raise your hand. How many of you were glad and wrote a thank you note to the Oregon Department of Revenue for that? None of us did, right? And it, by the way, if you work for the Oregon Department of Revenue, thank you for what you do. This is not in any way man intended to diss you. You have a very important job. What I'm just highlighting here is that anytime you get to the topic of taxes and paying taxes, people don't feel good about that. Now that sentiment, put that sentiment on steroids and apply it to Zacchaeus because that's not only going on here. What else is going on here is that there are people who are being gouged. Tax tax collectors in Jesus' day would have charged extra and they would have been living the high life and they've been working for Rome and they would have been viewed as, as social traitors. And so a tax collector, that's a bad person. A Pharisee, this is someone who you esteem. This is someone who has gone through the rigors of religious training and uh, and has achieved and and Pharisees sort of strutted around town and they wore fancy robes and and tassels. Here's a picture, can I give you a picture of what they look like? A kind of an eerie look on their face (laughs) as they they kind of move through uh, their cities and just people, I know, it's, it's... it's really hard to keep going on this sermon after seeing that picture. <laughs> if you're a guest or you're on live stream, um, it's got a little bit of an inside joke. That's our, one of our pastors, Brian Candelo. We have fun with each other. Um, let me recover here. Anyhow, so you got tax collectors. The, the, these are people who are looked at in a negative light. And you got Pharisees who are actually kind of looked at in a positive light. And these are the two characters in the story. Now, you may be thinking, okay, Steve, you read that parable. It seems pretty straightforward. You're, you know, it, you know don't be the Pharisee, be the tax collector. This should be the shortest sermon ever. Au contraire, there is so much to share with you. Uh, let's just dive right in because here's, here's some things you need to know about the Pharisee. First one is this, he has a warped idea of what prayer is. He really has a warped idea of what prayer is. Uh, some of your translations say he goes into the temple, he is going at the time of prayer and he stands in the center of the temple and, and he begins praying. And it's like the, the limelight is on him. And all attention is on him. I want people to notice me as I'm praying. It's a very warped idea of prayer. In fact, Jesus has spoken to this a little earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount. When he said, when you pray, Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. 
I tell you the truth, that, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Uh, one writer has said that this, this Pharisee who's praying in the story that Jesus is telling, this fairy, Pharisee is, is not asking for anything. He's not asking, he's actually basking in his sort of self-congratulatory prayer. Thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. It's a very warped sense of an understanding of prayer. The second thing you need to know about this Pharisee is he focuses on external behavior. He's, he's focusing on the, you know, here's what I do. I, I tithe and, and I fast and, um, and I do all these. I'm, I'm good. I'm not like cheaters. I'm not, I'm not like sinners. And, and it's this external stuff that he's, that he's focusing on. In fact, Jesus would speak to that as well in the Sermon on the Mount. He, he writes, or he speaks as Matthew captures it. He says, you have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, even if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. You've heard that commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus would go on and talk about another parable. This idea of we're washing the outside of the bowl, but the inside of the bowl is dirty. This We're giving focus and attention to externals, but actually what God is looking at is at the internal realities of our hearts, which causes us to, we really do need to hit the pause button and ask ourselves a question. And internally, when I'm around people, do I look at people and say, well, you know, there's a loser. (laughs) There's someone who's, who's on the lower strata of society. Oh, there's someone who, uh, there's someone that, you know, maybe, have you ever had a thought about having, engaging in a sexual relationship with someone who, who you're not married to? Because what Jesus is saying is that if that happens externally, yes, you're an adulterer, but what Jesus is getting at here is he's saying actually, if you've had that thought internally, then you are, you're, you're in the same level as an adulterer who actually acts on it. So the Pharisee not only has a strange idea of prayer, the focus is on the external, putting on a show for people, but in reality, there could be some very dangerous things that are happening in, uh, in his heart. Third thing you need to know about the Pharisee is this. He views spiritual practices like they are merit badges. I, I remember well, my, uh, living, growing up in Hong Kong, I got, as a kid, I got to join the, the, the Cub Scouts. And um, with this, we had the, you know, the uniform and the, the scarf thing. I remember going and, and they, they brought me forward and, and turned me upside down, held me in the air upside down and put this bobcat pin on me and then you know, put me right side up, give me this manual and you do this, 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 and this and you can, uh, you can earn, uh, you can earn the, 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 the turning of the bobcat pin and then you can earn some of them and get some patches and, and you, know, you, you see someone who's a, a Cub Scout, you can sort of find out exactly where they rank and rate. Um, and, and what the Pharisees are doing here is, is he, he's actually taking these spiritual practices and it's feeding his pride, which is the exact opposite of what a spiritual practice is intended to do, right? Spiritual practice actually, it flows from a, from a place of weakness, not a place of strength, to keep us centered in Christ, to keep us walking in the ways of Christ. And, and what this, this Pharisee is, he's, he's treating it like a, marriage, a merit badge, 
Look at me. I fast and I, I tithe. And, and fasting is a good thing. And tithing is a, is a, is a great thing. And in fact, um, and we, we, we want to engage in spiritual disciplines, but Jesus warns us about that in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, he says this about, about giving. He says, uh, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. We're on the topic of fasting. Uh, and when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. The Pharisee has this strange idea of prayer, this self-congratulatory prayer, this focus on external behavior, this viewing spiritual practices like merit badges. He's spiritually benchmarking himself in his society. And friends, let me say it again. When we engage in spiritual benchmarking, what happens is that it, it diminishes our experience of ridiculous grace. When we, when we, we engage in the practice of, keep, of, of keeping spiritual scorecards, there's a part of us that just atrophies in our spirit and soul. It actually, it actually causes, it causes us to become deformed in spirit. Now, the last thing I want you to notice about the Pharisee is this. He blatantly plays the comparison game. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm not like those cheaters. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that tax collector. Thank you, Lord, that I am not a beaver fan. <laughs> Thank you, God, that I am not the pastor who is taking shots at beavers. <laughs> I, we, we do this, right? We, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad. Thank you, God, that I'm not like that person who's gone through two marriages. Thank you, God, that I'm, I'm not like those people who, or who are going to AA. Thank, see, this is what happens Spiritual benchmarking, thank you, God, that, 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 I, that I have this pedigree. We Thank you, God, that I've got these. We, we benchmark ourselves, and part of us begins to just shrivel on the inside. And Jesus, he's, he's, he's pointing this out to a people who are taking great pride in their spiritual progress. Now, we're about to talk about the tax collector. We're halfway through, so now we're at halftime, okay? So stand up. Seriously, stand up. I'm sorry, I don't have popcorn or anything like that. Turn around and say, say to somebody, it's halftime. Introduce yourself. Say hi to them. Engage in a little conversation. There you go. You got it. Okay, we're, we're now, not, come back to me. We're going to the third quarter. We don't want to go into overtime. I get a parking lot. People mad at us. All right. Here, here's the tax collector. We, we, saw the, we saw the Pharisee. We saw the ridiculous prayer. We, we saw the, the, the focus on the external realities. We saw the comparison game. We saw the, the spiritual disciplines being treated as, as merit badges. Here's, here's the, what you need to know about the, ta the tax collector. The first thing is, this guy really is a bad guy. 
please, please, please do not make this guy the hero of the story. He's not the hero of the story. This is a corrupt individual. This is a guy who's overcharging taxes so that he can impress his boss. He's actually overcharging people in taxes so he can pay off his summer home. He's, actually, he's, he's charging people more than he should be charging so that he can have luxuries in life. Do not make this guy the hero of the story. This is really a bad guy who's engaged in corruption. The second thing you need to know about this, this guy is that the, he, he's a tax collector, but he has a conscience. And it's bothering him. So we got two people go to the temple one day. One's a Pharisee, one's a tax collector. We don't know why the, why the tax collector goes up to the temple. Maybe it's been years since he's been to the temple. But there's just been this nagging thing that's going on in his head. And, and this guilt has built up. And he's like, maybe, maybe... God will meet me there and there'll be a chance for my sin to be forgiven and, and maybe there's hope for me and so hope and a guilty conscience takes him to the temple and he's standing in the temple and, he, and he's not standing with the other people. He's actually standing at, at, at the margins and, and at the side. The, the Pharisee's front and center. He's up front and he's praying this glorious prayer for everyone to hear. The, 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 the tax collector, is he's part of the marginalized. He's at, he's, you know, part of his behavior has got him there but he's at the margins. He's farther away from where the action is going on in the temple. You know, kind of like sitting in the balcony or the back rows here at church. I'm just kidding, all right? I'm just kidding. But he's distancing himself because he doesn't feel worthy to be in the center of what's going on here. And his guilty conscience is bugging him. In fact, Jesus tells a story and says that he doesn't even lift his eyes to heaven. This this guilt has come on him that he, you know, you ever done something and you just like, ah, oh, I just, I can't even lift my head. I, I, it's so embarrassing. I can't even, I can't even make eye contact with people. I just stare at the ground. A lot of years ago, um, our family, our kids were younger, we, we tried to have dogs. It didn't work too well. Um, when our, um, we had two kids and then we had our first son was born Chase. He was like two or three uh, weeks old and we, we got a little Cocker Spaniel and it was, the timing was not good. And um, Trina called me one day at work and she said, you need to come home because we're either getting rid of our son or the dog. The choice is yours. <laughs> Wisdom that I did possess, I went home quickly and we, we gave the dog to someone else in our church. Um, a few years later, when our kids were a little bit older, we got another dog, we got a Dalmatian. Um, named him Bark. Very creative name. Um, Bark was a disaster. Bark was one of those, those dogs just thrashes. I mean, eats toys and shoes and things that are important to you. He would chew on. I, we went on a vacation one time and I had a friend of mine. Uh, he was a youth pastor in our church and he was gonna watch the house for us and he apparently left the back sliding door open in our house and Bark came from outside into the house and he just destroyed the house. He just absolutely just turned it upside down. He consumed a mattress uh, and there were chunks of foam all, everywhere in, in the house. He consumed uh, couch cushions. He got into, uh, he, he ate books. Uh, he, I still have a book in my office. A part of it is gnawed off. That was, that's from Bark. Uh, he, he actually turned the house so much upside down that my friend told me that when he came over to feed him, to feed our dog, he actually thought someone burglarized our home and just completely destroyed it and turned it upside down looking for something. He had to use a rake to clean out the house. 
uh, you know, bark consumed crayons and markers and left, you know, multicolored dog poop in the backyard. It was just, he was a mess. But when he would chew a shoe or do something, I'd walk up to him and say, Bark, what have you done? And he would just hang his head. And he would just kind of try and move away. And I'd, Bark, get over here. And he would hang his head. And, 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 and we got to the point, we gave that dog to an unsuspecting farmer and said, oh, that's a <laughs> great, great dog. Um, and uh, I think this tax collector, is, he's, he's hanging his head. He can't, in fact, he's beating his chest. I don't know what your physical gesture is when you've blown it, when you've really messed up. Usually, it's, for me, it's like I put my hand on my head. I, I, I can't believe I just said that. Oh, I, I can't believe I just thought that. I don't know what your physical gesture is when you've blown it, but this guy, what is he's beating his chest, which is, a, it's, it's, this is a sign of, it's an ache of regret. It's a Middle Eastern custom to do this. And mostly women do it, but men do it as well. In fact, if you've read the story of the crucifixion as Jesus is carrying his cross to Calvary, the, the streets are lined with people. And in, in one part of the story, the, the, the people are beating their chests. Intense sorrow and grief. You'll see this at funerals. This beating of a chest, of, this ache of regret, um, which actually this flows from this, this third thing. He, he knows he needs help from above to deal with his guilt. This aching regret, this, this painful knowledge that indeed I am a sinner and I am in need of help. And coming to this place where you realize that, that my issues are actually bigger than me and I need help from outside because they're, they're unmanageable. In, in, in recovery, it's getting to this place of, of saying that, that I, I am no longer able, uh, th- th- this problem is so serious that, I, that my life has become unmanageable and I need help from a, from a higher power, a greater power. That's where this tax collector is. A, a deep place of sorrow, a deep place of, of understanding his own sin. And here's the thing, the last thing I want you to know is that he prays the perfect prayer. Praise the perfect prayer. Is this his first prayer? I I don't know. But he prays the perfect prayer. Oh God, have mercy on me, for I'm a sinner. It's not, you know, Luke tells a story of a blind man who's crying out to Jesus as as he's passing by. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The the different kind of mercy. That's the kind of mercy, like, have pity on me, have compassion on me. That's not what the tax collector is saying. What he's saying here, this this mercy he's saying, is, is there atonement for me? Is there any hope for me? You ever been there? Is there any hope for me? And, and what Jesus is saying, here's this Pharisee who's saying, oh, thank God I'm not like those other people. I do this, I do that. I mean, things are going good in my life. I've spiritually benchmarked myself and I feel pretty good about myself and I'm sure God does too. But the tax collector has come in and he's standing at the margins and simply saying, my life is a mess. I, I can't fix this. God, is there any atonement for me? And he prays the perfect prayer. Now, at this point in time, Jesus steps out of the parable and he says something that would have absolutely disturbed everyone who was listening. He says these words in verse 14, I tell you, this sinner, the tax collector, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. This would have just shocked the listeners. 
wait a minute. You're telling me that the guy who is, who's got this corruptive behavior, the guy who's been cheating people, the guy who's been gouging people, trying to impress his boss and, and get ahead in life at our expense, that guy goes home justified for God before God and the Pharisee doesn't? Yeah, it's exactly. In fact, that's exactly what's going on. In fact, Jesus, this choice of word there is fascinating and actually tells us and only just elevates the ridiculous grace. That word justified literally means it's just as if I have never sinned. So what Jesus is saying, as this guy who's a bad guy, who has a guilty conscience, who's feeling the weight of that guilt, and who prays the perfect prayer, actually will stand before Father God, and God Almighty will look at him and say, you, it's, you, it's as if you have never sinned. That's just mind-blowing. And the Pharisee is not justified. Why? Because the Pharisee has adopted the self-improvement plan approach to God. See, God's at the top of the ladder and, and, and I'm, I'm sorted through the top and I'm doing pretty good. I mean, I got a host of people below me. And if I just do these certain behaviors, I'm, I'm gonna get to the top of the ladder and I'm doing great. It's a self-improvement plan. It's a prove myself to God plan and it, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work because God is so intensely holy. There's, so, there's nothing at, that we can even come close to working our way towards God. There's such a chasm between us and him. But the tax collector is justified because he just simply admits his sin and his guilt. And there is atonement for him. Jesus will go to the cross and he will pay for that tax collector's sin debt so that if that tax collector were to put his faith in Christ like Zacchaeus did, and we'll see that next week, the holiness of God will be placed on the shoulders of a tax collector. And God will say to him, it's just as if you've never sinned. Now, don't you read a story like this and go, <laughs> Thank God I'm not the Pharisee. <laughs> Isn't that the temptation? And friends, the moment we do that is the moment that we embrace this spiritual benchmarking that shrivels our soul. Friends, are, have you thrown yourself at the feet of Jesus and said, have mercy on me, oh God, I'm a sinner? Or have you embraced a spiritual improvement plan to try and benchmark your way to Jesus? Consoling your mistakes by looking back and going, well, <laughs> at least I'm not like Fowler. At least I'm not like that person that I see in my small group. Have you thrown your feet on Jesus like the tax collector or are you going the way of the Pharisee? Spiritual benchmarking will diminish our soul. Spiritual benchmarking will rob us of the rich, deep experience of ridiculous grace. And being recipients of grace, we walk in that grace, reminding ourselves that yes, yes, we blow. Yes, we have those head moments where we go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that or I thought that. Those chest-pounding moments where we realize our humanity and our failures 
but a moment where we can go and thank God for his grace. Thank God for his spirit living in me who could transform me and conform me into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he's doing that. And, and yes, I want, I, want, I want to walk and I want to be transformed, but I'm not doing it so that I could earn his pleasure or his favor. I'm doing it because I have received his pleasure and his favor. There's a heaven and earth difference between the two. When I was a kid, we used to sing a song. It was actually a hymn, um, and it was called Rock of Ages. Uh, There's a verse in that song um, that says this. It says, nothing, it begins by saying, nothing in my hand I bring. What the the writer is saying is that I've got nothing. There's no self-improvement plan that I have that I can bring that earns me salvation. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. There's my atonement. There's my gift of salvation there. Naked come to thee for dress. My righteousness, it's like putting on clothes that have been hanging out in the hamper for a couple weeks and me calling them clean. Isaiah says it this way. It says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Helpless look to thee for grace. It's the tax collector's prayer. In fact, I would say this is the tax collector's song. Foul I to the fountain fly. I make my trip to the temple. I get on my knees because I know all too well that I am in need of atonement and mercy. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Friends, spiritual benchmarking will indeed shrivel our souls, but those who walk in the way of the tax collector, those who embrace humility, what Jesus says at the end of the story is that's the pathway to exaltation. It's counterintuitive. See, if I realize and walk forward knowing, knowing full well my own sin, that God does this amazing turnaround in my life, and actually lifts me up. Now, I want us just to bow our heads and close our eyes and just to spend some time thinking about this and responding to our Christ. Jesus, what, what, are, you, what are you saying to us today? Are you revealing something about who you are to us today? Jesus, could you be saying to us, I am attracted to humility? Jesus, are you saying anything about us? Jesus, we declare today that you alone are righteous. You alone are pure. You're the one who has integrity. You are holy. And what marvelous grace that you would pay our debt and dress us in your holiness. Thank you. That blesses us and causes worship to rise from our hearts. Now, enjoy your saints as they walk with you. 
and they live this out. We pray this in your name. Amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.